Welcome to the Modern Mexico Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Parrish. On today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about Mexico's mining sector. Mexico has a long history of mining activity. Mexico is the world's top producer of silver. Mexico is also the second most important gold producer in Latin America. In recent years, however, the mining sector has become increasingly infected by risks from local protesters, organized crime groups, and legal uncertainty. In 2022, six mine employees were kidnapped by armed civilian gunmen in the state of Guanajuato. Also in 2022, thieves stole 20 shipping containers filled with silver and gold from a port facility in the state of Colima. In early 2023, protesters in Michoacan blockaded the entrance to a mine after two local environmental activists disappeared. Each state in Mexico presents a very different risk profile for mining sector companies. Sonora, Mexico's mining epicenter, presents a very different set of risks than states with less prominent mining histories such as Puebla and Veracruz. Foreign executives doing due diligence on potential mining investment projects in Mexico need to fully understand the range of risks affecting particular mines. In today's podcast, we're speaking to Douglas Coleman, the CEO of the Mexican Mining Center. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Nathaniel. Uh, Thanks for having me on. So the first question I have to kick off the discussion is what three words would you use to describe Mexico's President Lopez Obrador's attitude towards the mining sector? Well, uh, his public attitude, I would say, is uh, mostly a distrust, uh, antagonistic, and uh, I would add uninformed to that. He's um, he's come out uh, with public statements that are very much against uh, the mining industry as a whole. Uh, but I think he kind of, I think the true situation is, is he's more pragmatic than he actually reveals in public. And uh, the industry is still moving forward. We've still got a lot of investment here in Mexico. And, uh, but all the same, I think it does, the uh, the idea of foreign ownership of mining concessions is something that really goes against the uh, Hamlet's nationalistic ideology. And I believe he views the industry more as a necessary evil rather than anything else. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of a difficult situation to measure and it's, uh, it's just something that uh, I think uh, if you if you pay a lot of attention to the things that he says, you start to realize that uh, he presents things in a way that sounds like he's really against the industry, and yet when you pay attention to the details, more often than not, there's no changes, real real policy changes involved. But uh, but all that said, you know, the, I think the thing that he's done that has hurt the industry more than anything else is his uh, moratorium on new concessions. 
And uh, he, when he ran as a candidate for the presidency, uh, he said that uh, over 40% of Mexico's territory was under mining concessions, which uh, if you fact check that, that's really not the case. Uh, the Mexican Chamber of Mines says that the uh, actual territory that's covered by mining concessions is uh, closer to 8.6% versus the 40% plus that Manuel uh, declared. And out of that 8.6%, only 0.1% is actually affected by mining operations. Because uh, although mining uh, attracts a lot of attention in the press, it, uh, its effects are very limited, very restricted. It's, uh, it doesn't uh, affect a large territory. So uh, Hamlet declared when he was uh, first running as a candidate that he would uh, put a moratorium on new mining concessions because there was just too many out there. And also because he viewed them as uh, kind of, well, he's, in his public statements, he said that uh, mining companies, uh, especially ones in Canada, were uh, using the mining concessions in Mexico uh, for, for speculation and uh, not, uh, not to actually be developed. And that's a kind of a distorted way of looking at things. It's a majority of mining concessions do not actually become developed into a mining operation. And uh, but it's all part of the business, the industry here, that you have to uh, raise capital to explore. And, and it takes a, a lot of high risk investment to go into these uh, properties to actually become a mine and eventually with a little luck, uh, recover all of that investment. So, uh, that's uh, right now what's happening there is with the uh, mining concessions being, uh, being no new mining concessions, he's essentially strangling uh, exploration, and uh, we'll feel the effects from that uh, years to come. Uh, right now, we don't feel so much of that, that effect, but uh, Years down the road, I think uh, they'll start feeling uh, the effects of this last six years where no new mining concessions were, were getting titled. And uh, I think, uh, well, that's one of the things that kind of show a little bit of, you know, his public stance of basically antagonism and, and uh, lack of information. And he just does what is politically convenient for him. And, I think uh, most of his base is, uh, is the lower class uh, population, which is mostly from southern Mexico, where mining isn't a major part of the, of the culture. And so it's uh, more politically convenient for AMLO to uh, have a public stance, anti-mining stance in public, and uh, that's what he's doing. Uh, but all of that said, uh, you know, Mexico has been a mining country for over 500 years. We have enormously rich uh, mineral resources. And uh, I see the economic forces are prevailing over the political resistance. And uh, if you look at uh, worldwide investment in exploration, the uh, principal destination for that investment is Latin America on a regional scale. And Mexico enjoys uh, well over a quarter of that investment, uh, making it the, uh, the principal country for mining exploration. And all of that said, of course, uh, the uh, 
actual investment going into Mexico is about half of what it was 10 years ago. But uh, on a comparative basis, Mexico is still one of the principal, one of the best places in the world for investing, investing in money and exploration. Okay, interesting. So the words you picked are distrustful, antagonistic, and uninformed. Um, all, all of those words sound a little bit negative. Um, so I'm wondering, overall, what grade would you give President Lopez Obrador for his mining policies? Well, I would give him a C minus. The, uh, the uh, policy of no new mining concessions has just crippled uh, the exploration here in Mexico. And uh, he's come out, uh, most of his public statements have scared away investment into the country. Uh, and so I would give him a low grade for all of that. Uh, he came out right away and said no to the mine in, in uh, Baja California Sur, which is, uh, there was a uh, mine called the Concordia Gold Project just outside of La Paz. And uh, he said no to that, canceled all uh, hopes of that mine going into production in the near future. But on the other hand, uh, that's a property that has been explored and uh, developed for the last 30 years. And, they have not been able to bring that into production because of uh, environmental concerns. So that made a big, lot of news that scared away investors, but at the same time, it didn't really hurt the industry because that was a project that really wasn't going to be uh, become a mine anyway. And then he went out and uh, canceled the permits on the El Boleo mine, which is also in Baja California Sur, which is near Santa Rosalia. And that made a lot of news because this was actually a mine, actually a mine that was in operation and had applied for a, uh, an extension to its permits and to its ground, which would allow an, an additional 10 years of mine life. And he came in and uh, canceled those, although they had already been approved by the environmental agency here in Mexico. And uh, that made a lot of outcry among the mining professionals in Mexico. And so very quietly, he agreed to uh, hold a public referendum in Santa Rosalia, which is the community where the mine is located. And the uh, local people uh, all voted in favor of this operation. So uh, the mine has its permits now and it's going forward as normal, but uh, it still left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people, that, uh, a lot of foreign investors especially. And uh, you know, this is all the parts of the reasons that I would give them a low grade. But on the other hand, uh, I wouldn't give them a complete failing grade because uh, the things that he has done haven't had a significant impact on the industry. It's, uh, it scares away investors. It, it gives a negative appearance here in Mexico towards mining. Uh, but at the same time, things are still moving forward. If, if you look at the political side of things, it looks really poor. But uh, on the economic side of things, uh, there's still investment coming in. There's still projects that are being developed. And uh, and I think uh, we're looking at a really a bright future for mining here. The, uh, <clears throat> there's, uh, you know, any other number of issues, but I think that uh, one of the things that he did was when COVID first came into effect, is he uh, 
publish a formal list of all of the industries that were considered an essential industries, which were continued with their operations as normal during the COVID period during the pandemic. And mining wasn't included on that list, which uh, was unbelievable. But uh, about three months later, with a lot of public outcry over that, he did include mining on the list as essential industry. So I think that would give him a, a C minus as opposed to a failing grade. Okay, so C minus is definitely not favorable, but it's also not terrible. And uh, it sounds like, in your view, President Lopez Obrador's interest in the mining sector is maybe more about politics than about hands-on policy. And something that I've heard from executives in the automotive and aerospace sectors is that the Lopez Obrador administration is just kind of content to let them run on autopilot, that they're not necessarily part of his strategic vision for Mexico. He's not doing a lot to you know, develop them or make them more competitive 10 or 20 years from now. Um, but he's also just not very hands-on with day-to-day involvement in those sectors. And um, maybe it sounds like um, to some degree that's what's happening in, in the mining sector, that beyond some, you know, some big headlines that there's still mining exploration happening in Mexico. It's just a little bit behind the scenes and maybe a little bit on autopilot. Um, and one of the other questions that I have is, you know, for foreign companies that are, that are looking at Mexico, at Mexico right now, I'm wondering what is the number one risk that foreign mining companies need to understand when considering buying assets in Mexico? Well, I think that the uh, number one risk is, uh, some of the new regulations that are going into effect in Mexico. Uh, everyone in mining is paying very close attention to uh, one case in particular, which uh, is in the Supreme Court at this time, where they're making a judgment as to whether or not the actual mining law is constitutional, which is unfortunate because the, the Mexican mining law is considered one of the best written mining laws in the country, in the world. And uh, the issue at hand is uh, a new requirement that they call indigenous consultation, where when uh, a mining company is applying for the environmental permits to put an operation into production, usually you would uh, have to consult the local community and, and have their approval for the mine operation before acquiring the environmental permits that you need, that you need. which uh, I don't think is a bad idea. Because in the end, uh, you can either get the uh, approval prior to going into operation, or you would run the risk of going into operation and facing, uh, you know, major lawsuits and probably much more expensive consequences later down the mine life. So that part is is fine, but where we're running into problems is that uh, now questioning whether or not mining concessions are actually have legal titles. If they were, uh, if this concession was uh, applied for without prior consultation to the indigenous communities, and uh, that is putting a, uh, a real stumbling block everywhere across the country, where people are starting to worry about whether or not 
they have a, a legal title for the concession. And uh, that's uh, that's what's being decided upon in the Supreme Court right now. And uh, the case in point on that is Amadim Minerals and Stockton Project, which is done in the southern state of Puebla. And uh, although Hamadin has just done a, a spectacular job of uh, community outreach, they've done they've been completely transparent. Uh, one of the things they were doing was taking the uh, community members to operating mines and showing them how what a mining operation actually looks like, uh, how it's run, uh, the way they take care of the environment, and uh, and show them that it's a well-run professional legal operation. And so the. Uh, Community members who visited these mine sites could come back to their local communities and just be thrilled with the idea of having uh, a job-generating industry in their local community and having a well-run mine operation there. But uh, there are uh, NGOs that aren't uh, from there that come in and they play upon the the local community's fears of being lied to and tricked by the mining company. And uh, they, they convince the uh, communities that mining companies are coming in, stealing the mineral resources, uh, ruining the land, and then leaving them with a mess in the end. Which is not the case in the modern mining industry. There's a, there's a lot of emphasis now on what they call a, a CSR programs, or corporate social responsibility programs, and, and sustainability. <clears throat> and uh, although mining is not really sustainable by definition, since you are depleting uh, a limited natural resource, the mining companies are looking for ways to leave something of benefit to the communities that uh, could extend far beyond the life of the mine. So uh, they're doing different things, uh, providing education, the infrastructure. Uh, they they. A lot of the operations have uh, excellent scholarship programs for the local children. And uh, they're doing different things like that. I think in Oaxaca, in one place, they were uh, developing a textile industry where the locals could leave woolen type uh, blankets and things. And, and the mining company put down the initial investment to uh, build whatever infrastructure they needed to maintain that industry. And I think these are all different things that they're doing around the country. It's a little bit uh, frustrating at times because the, uh, the government has passed some laws where there's a, uh, I believe it's a 7% tax or an 8% tax on production, which is a, uh, a heavy tax against production. And that's supposed to go towards the uh, supporting communities that are affected by a mining operation. That uh, is not an unreasonable amount for the mining company to put into the community, but the uh, problem there is that uh, there's no guarantees that that money actually goes to the community, through the government, to the community. Right? And then often, more often than not, the mining company uh, pays the tax and still has to invest in the community to maintain the good relationship. So uh, right now, I think... Uh, this idea of uh, community relations with the uh, uh, indigenous consultation, those are the aspects that I think are the greatest risk to, to foreign companies coming into Mexico to operate. They have to have uh, 
you have to have good advice. They should have uh, good professional uh, uh, consultants who can help them with that. And uh, for the meantime, we we're hoping that uh, the mining law remains intact, which I am fully confident it will, but it still has to be decided upon by the Supreme Court. And for right now, I believe that is the largest risk to any company operating in Mexico. Okay, interesting. So you mentioned um, relationships with indigenous communities that live near mines as being the number one risk for mining companies in Mexico. But I'm also wondering about uh, relationships or threats from another group, which is organized crime. And I know that a few years ago, there was a Canadian mining executive who generated some controversy when he publicly bragged that his company had a good relationship with local organized crime groups in Sinaloa. And I'm wondering, overall, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think organized crime activity in Mexico affects the mining sector? Well, I think on a scale of one to 10, uh, you're probably looking at about a, a three. I think. It's not, uh, it, although this is a serious concern, it's not a constant threat, and it's, uh, it tends to shift from region to region. And of course, uh, any violence associated with that uh, isn't directly directed at the mining companies. Uh, <clears throat> most of the uh, risk of an operation can be uh, mitigated if you have a good community relationship. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the cartels have infiltrated every level of society in Mexico, from the, uh, the smallest uh, village up to the highest levels of government. So it's, uh, but they, they, you have to understand that the cartels run a business and uh, it's something that, uh, they essentially look the other way. They they have whatever they do, and and it's uh, almost you know occasionally you know there's areas where you shouldn't go walking around in the mountains. They're looking at rocks, but uh, if you have good relationship with the community, and, and you should also always ask for their advice as to what areas are safe to go to at the time, and if there's get a feel for what the situation is in the local community. Uh, for some of the major companies operating here, they hire professional consultants who can give them a, a, a really a nice uh, rundown of all of the security risk for whatever particular reason they're interested in working. So uh, <clears throat> I believe, uh, you know, it's just something that you have to take into account. But I don't think that that's a uh, overwhelming uh, issue as to as to risk involved in a mining operation. Okay, interesting. So maybe it's more of a potential long-term risk more than a, a daily operational risk in terms of employees or executives being targeted for assault or kidnapping yes. or anything like that. Well, there are some risky areas where there's been a problem before where you know some i believe up uh, for example up at the, the lotus mine up in uh, chihuahua near the chihuahua sonoran border 
there was a time when uh, some of the uh, contractors and some of the mine employees weren't able to to uh, take the road into the operation because of the uh, problems out there, because of the violence. But in that case, I believe the government did send in some troops and, and put more law and order in the area. And the government has been supportive of those types of things. So when there's a serious problem that is affecting the mining operation, the government will step in and, uh, and put in uh, some soldiers there to, to basically provide more security for the, for the workers. But those, those are cases that are fairly few and far between. I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that Mexico is known for producing some of the best coffee in Latin America. Total, in 2021, Mexico exported $350 million of raw coffee beans. One of the best local roasters in Mexico City is Nomade Tostadores. Residents and visitors can sample their high-end coffee at Café Blom in Colonia Juarez or Bada Funky in Colonia del Valle. Nomadi Coffee can also be purchased online and shipped worldwide. Check them out on Instagram. Okay, and... Another thing I wanted to ask you about is the lithium sector in Mexico. And right now we see a a broader discussion about what Mexico's role will be in the supply chain in the electric vehicle sector. And Mexico also has some potential to become a player in the lithium market. And I'm wondering... On a scale of 1 to 10, how optimistic are you about Mexico's lithium sector? Well, I would say now that uh, they've nationalized the lithium, I think that uh, the lithium sector, I would say probably uh, a 2 or a 3 as far as optimism goes. The um, Essentially... uh, if you look at the other things that have been nationalized here in Mexico, uh, uranium is an example. Uh, there's no uranium mines. There's no uh, aspect of the industry involving uranium in Mexico, although there are uranium deposits here. And I think it'll be a similar situation for lithium. We have uh, lithium deposits. Uh, one of them has received considerable investment from uh, the Chinese lithium company, I think it's Kang Feng, they put in over $300 million into uh, development of the Bacamora lithium project here in Sonora. But uh, that's still not an operation. It's gone through some pilot testing, and it is a large lithium deposit, but it's not an easy deposit to uh, process. It's uh, In this particular case, the lithium is uh, found in clays, and it requires uh, a lot of processing. It's a complicated metallurgical procedure to uh, separate the lithium. It's not cheap. So I think uh, it's something that the Mexican government would not uh, invest in. And the other lithium deposits that are in the country are, are very green exploration stage projects. Uh, so I think uh, by nationalizing lithium, AMLO has essentially uh, canceled that aspect of any future production of lithium in Mexico. 
Okay, interesting. So overall, you've mentioned a number of risk factors, everything from government intervention to legal uncertainty to indigenous community relations to potential threats from organized crime activity. Um, so it does seem like you think there are uh, you know, a number of negative factors affecting the outlook of the sector, but it also sounds like you're not, uh, you know, a hundred percent pessimistic about Mexico's future when it comes to mining sector, uh, exploration and investment. But, um, overall, I just want to say it was really interesting to hear your perspective and, you know, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, you're more than welcome. Uh, I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that Mexico is the world's number one beer exporter. Within Mexico, however, the beer industry is dominated by two international beer giants, the companies that produce Corona and Dos Equis. Over the last decade, however, a niche market for locally produced craft beers has emerged in Mexico. And one of the best brands of cerveza artesanal in Mexico is Minerva, which is produced in Guadalajara. Visitors and locals can sample Minerva's beer at the El Deposito chain of craft beer stores in Mexico City. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Modern Mexico Podcast. The next episode of the Modern Mexico podcast is coming soon. Until then, hasta luego, amigos. <laughs>